0: City WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey
0: the following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded
1: a truly contented person is one who is satisfied with what he possesses and what he does not possess, even if it means he doesn't possess a shirt. And just as the king in our story had a hard time finding one contented man, so today it is still difficult to find someone who is really satisfied, someone who is really content with what they have. And there are a number of reasons for that, but one glaring reason is that the world that we live in constantly sends messages to us that breed discontent. It's a world that is out to get you to buy their product. It is the goal of media advertisers to make you feel discontent with what you have or what you don't have, so that you will go out and buy their product. And they are very good at what they do in making you believe that you can't be happy apart from what they're selling. How can you be content with that car of yours? It doesn't block out the sounds like the new car. So you have to go out and get a new car. Or how can you be content with those basketball shoes? They're outdated. They're last year's model. And besides, Michael Jordan doesn't endorse it.
2: just heard our teacher Pastor Steve mention a story about a king and you might be wondering what you missed well you haven't missed anything what you just heard is referred to in the broadcasting world as a teaser which is designed to get your attention i hope it worked now you will hear the story of the king in just a few minutes but first welcome once again to verse by verse radio with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater Florida We are working our way through a series that is titled, Biblical Instructions for Godly Living, taken from Hebrews chapter 13. Would you agree or disagree with the following statement? It is difficult to find a person who is satisfied and content with his material possessions. I think we would all like to assume that we are content. Let's jump into our program today and find out if we are indeed. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Krylov.
1: It is difficult to find a person who is satisfied and content with his material possessions. There is a story told about a king who was suffering from a very painful ailment. And his advisor told him that the only cure for this ailment was to find a contented man to get his shirt and to wear it night and day. So messengers were sent out throughout the king's realm in search of a man of contentment and with orders to bring back his shirt. Well, months passed, and after a thorough search of the king's realm, the country, the messengers returned, but without the shirt. When they returned, the king asked, Did you find the contented man in all of my realm? And they said, Yes, O king, we found one, just one contented man." Then the king replied, Then why did you not bring back his shirt? And they said to him, Master, the man had no shirt. A truly contented person is one who is satisfied with what he possesses and what he does not possess, even if it means he doesn't possess a shirt. And just as the king in our story had a hard time finding one contented man, so today it is still difficult to find someone who is really satisfied, someone who is really content with what they have. And there are a number of reasons for that, but one glaring reason is that the world that we live in constantly sends messages to us that breed discontent. It's a world that is out to get you to buy their product. It is the goal of media advertisers to make you feel discontent with what you have or what you don't have, so that you will go out and buy their product. And they are very good at what they do in making you believe that you can't be happy apart from what they're selling. How can you be content with that car of yours? It doesn't block out the sounds like the new car. So you have to go out and get a new car. Or how can you be content with those basketball shoes? They're outdated. They're last year's model. And besides, Michael Jordan doesn't endorse it. So you have to go out and get more. And of course, the new ones cost a little bit more than the old ones. You see, everything is new and improved, even toothpaste. You thought your toothpaste was fine, didn't you? No, it's not. No, you have to get the new and improved toothpaste, or one that has to come out of the tube a little bit different, or that soft drink, less calories now, and things like that. And then the message is you've just got to get the latest things to make you happy, and if you don't have money, that's all right. You can just charge it. It's real, why let money stand in the way of your happiness? That is the world that we live in. That is our society. And so we tend to become victims of our society's lust for more and more things. And even though we as Christians ought to know better, we still tend to get caught up in yearning to have more things. But we are not the first generation to struggle with being content. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, because the Hebrews apparently had a problem in this area as well. Hebrews chapter 13, we want to look at verses five and six, just two short verses, but packed in there are things that could, could, truths that could radically change your life if you'll apply these truths to your life. Verse five. Let your way of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to me? These two verses, if you recall, these two verses follow a series of exhortations on how to love fellow Christians. We looked at this last week. And he says that you love strangers, he spoke about that in verse 2, you love strangers by showing hospitality. That's how you demonstrate love of the brethren who are strangers. You open your homes to them. That's loving. Let brotherly love continue. That's one way to do that. Secondly, we love those who are suffering, or those who specifically, he says, are in prison. And how do we love them? By showing compassion. Treating them as we would have them treat us if we were in prison with them. The third way we love the brethren is to love our spouse. And one way of demonstrating love is by sexual faithfulness and purity. We don't cheat on our spouse. That's what he says. But in verses 5 and 6, the Hebrews are told what they should not love. See, in a sense it's connected, but in a sense there's a contrast. They should not love money. In other words, they should let brotherly love continue, but they should be free from the love of money. Now, why would the writer, and this is what I always ask when I study the Bible, why would the writer say this to the Hebrews? There must have been some type of a problem or something the writer saw that could be a problem. And I think it's this. It may very well have been that these people were concentrating now on accumulating material things because they had lost so much due to persecution. If you'll turn back to chapter 10 of this book, you'll see in verse Thirty-two, he says this, and then 34, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. That is to say, after the Spirit of God gave you an understanding of Jesus Christ, and many of you came to know Jesus Christ, you endured suffering. And verse 34, he explains that part of that suffering was the loss of material things. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, and an abiding one. So at that point, and we don't know all the details of this, somehow their possessions were taken away, but that didn't bother them in the early days of their Christian experience because they counted on the fact that they had a better possession, which was an eternal possession, their inheritance, and so it didn't bother them. But some time had passed now, and perhaps with the passing of time... And some of the people defecting from the faith and going back to Judaism, their attitude had changed. And now they had forgotten that they had a better possession. They weren't focusing on that, and they were concentrating now on replacing their lost wealth. We don't know if that's the case. But regardless of their situation, regardless of your situation, the Bible calls us all to be content with what we have in terms of material things. And I want to stress that in terms of material things because we have to be very careful. When we're talking about being content, we are not saying that we ought to be passive and content with our spiritual lives. We should always be striving to walk closer to the Lord. We should always desire to press on towards greater conformity to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 12, he said, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we are not saying that you should ever feel like you reach a point where you say, I'm totally content with the way things are. This is talking about contentment with material things, not your spiritual walk. Never reach a point where you feel you've arrived or that you can't grow any further. That's called a carnal person. The Bible calls us, and this is what this passage is dealing with, that we should always be content with what we have materially. And to help us to become and be content, the writer of the Hebrews gives two key truths about contentment. That's what we're going to look at this morning, two key truths. If you take these truths to heart, I guarantee this, if you take them to heart and you apply them to your life, regardless of the discontented society that you live in and the discontented people that you are around, if you take these truths to heart and you apply them, you will be satisfied with what you have and you will be satisfied with what you don't have. So let's begin by looking at verse 5. And the first key basic truth is the enemy of contentment. The enemy of contentment. Verse 5 says, let your way of life be free from the love of money. You know what the enemy of contentment is? It's called covetousness. Coveting. Wanting something you either don't have or longing for more of what you do have. That's covetousness. And it's interesting, and this is very interesting, that this statement on covetousness, or being free from the love of money, follows the verse on immorality. Now, why? In fact, well, let's look at verse 4, and you'll see, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's a euphemism for sexual relations, let the marriage bed, that's what he's talking about, be undefiled. How do you defile it? He says, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You defile it when you have a sexual experience outside of marriage. And God says he will judge and deal with those who are fornicators and those who are adulterers. Now, right after that, he speaks about covetousness. Why? Let me just tell you that throughout the New Testament, in fact, throughout the Bible, Scripture often links these two sins together sexual immorality and covetousness are often linked together. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11, the apostle Paul wrote, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous. And he goes on to say, or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or so forth. So he puts that together. Then in Ephesians, Chapter 4, verse 19, he puts it together again. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. He links it together. The next chapter, Ephesians 5, verse 3, but do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Colossians 3, 5, the same thing. I don't think we need to look at that. It's the same thing. Impurity. Impurity. Immorality and covetousness. Now, why? Why does the apostle Paul and not only the apostle Paul, but other gospel writers, why do they put immorality and coveting together so often? It's because of this. The covetous man is a selfish man and he pursues with a passion his selfish aims or goals, whether it's sexual or financial. You see, because coveting is an attitude of the heart. It's a sinful attitude. It's not necessarily an overt action, although it leads to that, but it's an attitude of the heart. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he said that immorality and coveting stems out of the heart. They defile you because they stem from the heart. He was speaking there about don't worry about what food you take in. That just passes through you. But what comes out of the heart is what defiles you, not the food you put into you. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the issue is financial lust, not sexual lust. He dealt with that in verse 4. It is financial lust. He says, be free from the love of money. Have a lifestyle that is free from the love of money. Loving money is one of the more common forms of covetousness and it keeps a person from being content that's what you need to understand it is the enemy of contentment and it is one of those sins that is secretive it is well hidden you could be guilty of that right now and nobody would ever know it it is a secretive sin hardly anybody ever talks about the sin of covetousness especially in america because most people in america are covetous in fact, it was Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor in the 1800s out of England who said this, I've been in a lot of testimony meetings, and I've heard a lot of people share how they've sinned, and I've had people come to me and make confession of sin, but in all my life I have never had one person confess the sin of covetousness to me. And maybe you have someone who told you about that, but not many. It's a rare breed of a person who's going to really be honest and say, I am guilty of covetousness. But coveting, whether we admit it or not, is something that all of us are prone to do. And you don't have to be in America to be guilty of this. In fact, you don't even have to have a lot of money to be guilty of this. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you don't have. It's an attitude of the heart. Loving money is a temptation to every single person here. In fact, it's part of the fall of man. That's why built into the Ten Commandments is the phrase, you shall not steal. And then... God went on to say, you shall not covet. Right after that, covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's animals, his house, and so forth. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, because we're going to see a covetous man. In Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul begins to talk in verse 7 about the law. Actually, he has been talking about the law, but his own experience with the law. And he says in verse 7 of Romans 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. How could the law be sin? The law is holy. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. It was inward coveting that convinced Paul he was sinful. Paul thought that if he just did those outward things that all good Jewish boys did... In keeping the Ten Commandments and the other commandments, there's really 613 commandments in the Old Testament, if he did all of that, then he was fine. Everything was fine. He could cover the external things in his life and convince himself and deceive himself that he was actually doing that and convince others he was doing it. But... What he couldn't deny was the fact that inwardly he was craving to have things, and he knew that the commandment said, thou shalt not covet. He knew that he couldn't keep the law. No one can keep the law. This was his true inward desire. And I said this before, lusting after things isn't limited to people who don't have money. It's not just for people who are poor who say, oh, if I only had. Wealthy people covet too. In fact, the multimillionaire John D. Rockefeller was once asked how much more money it would take to make him satisfied. You know what he said? A little bit more. It was also the multimillionaire Andrew Carnegie who said millionaires seldom smile. You know why? Because they're never satisfied. And you may think, you may say, yeah, if I had their money, I'd be satisfied. I doubt it. Not if you don't apply these truths to your lives. I doubt it, because if Rockefeller had that problem and Carnegie had that problem, why are we any different, unless we apply the truth of Scripture to our lives, because it's part of the fall of man. It's part of our nature to want more, and just more and more. Now, apparently, the Hebrews were tempted to love money, and so are we. So let's think through this basic issue of loving money. Let's just think through this and look at a few Scriptures. And let me say this as you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, money isn't sin. Money is not sin. I don't want you to hear me say money is sin because I have not said that. People, I have found, tend to hear what they want to hear. Money is not sin. It is amoral. It's not good. It's not bad. The Bible condemns the love of money, not money. It's how you use it and your attitude towards it that is the issue, not money. It's not sinful being wealthy. It's not sinful being poor. It's your attitude towards your wealth. It's your attitude towards your poverty. That's the real issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And his point here is that if you focus on this world and all your savings in the bank and you don't serve the Lord and you're not investing in eternal things, then realize you're going to lose it. Someday you're going to die. And you're going to lose it. And here he was speaking about moth and rust destroying and thieves breaking in and stealing. Thieves can break in and steal. They can take this from you but they can't take away your eternal rewards. Notice also verse 20. went on to say, "...but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal." That's eternal. And then verse 24. "...no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon." And mammon is just another way of saying riches. "...if you set your affections upon money, you cannot serve God." You just cannot. You know why? You can't serve two masters. If you say, I'll serve money and I'll serve God. No, your money will come between your serving God because you'll let money dictate what you'll do rather than God. You cannot serve two masters. One of them will not be your master if you serve two masters. You can't because they're going to conflict. And if you put money and God on the same level, believe me, you're not going to obey God. You're going to obey money and let money dictate your behavior. First Timothy chapter 6 This is so very, very helpful. Beginning at verse 6, and we'll come back to this later, but the Apostle Paul wrote, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. And so he's speaking about contentment here. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, and that's the issue, not those who are rich or those who are poor, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare of many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root, not the only root, but a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it, there it is, craving, longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. So Paul says that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. Now, what kind of evil could loving money lead to? You could come up with some things in your thinking. It wouldn't take but a moment. The Bible gives us some illustrations. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. This is a very important passage on money and loving it and attitudes towards it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Oh, isn't that interesting? Do families get divided over inheritance? Have you ever heard anything like that? Who's in the will? Who's not in the will? I should get more money? Why did my brother or sister get more money? How could you do that? I took care of you, and you're going to leave more to them? So they said to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I love what the Lord said in verse 14. He said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Is that my role to tell you this? You guys work it out. Stop being so covetous, what he's saying. And he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. That's the sin here. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The love of money has divided many families, and it deceives, and it deceived this man in the parable into thinking that his life was about possessing things. That's what he lived for, and Jesus said someday he will come to the end of his life, and what will his money do at that point? When you die, your goods and riches do nothing for you. Money deceives you. Loving money, I should say, deceives you into thinking that life is about possessing things when it's really about having a close relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the problem. That's really the problem. The love of money. So in this case, the love of money deceived a man. Deceived a man all of his life. The love of money also divided this family Mark chapter 10, you don't need to turn there, but I'm sure you're familiar, most of you are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and wanted to have eternal life. Most of us would have just whipped out a tract and say, read this and pray a sinner's prayer and you're saved. But Jesus made it difficult for him because Jesus knew that this man was not to a point of repentance. That this man did not recognize he was a sinner. And you cannot accept Jesus Christ as your Savior unless you see yourself as a condemned sinner. And so Jesus said, have you kept the commandments? And they guy, oh, sure I have. Sure I have. Which was not true. Because the Bible says no one keeps the commandments. And so Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the Bible says this man went away sad because he had much wealth. What was our Lord doing? He was putting his finger on the man's sin of covetousness, and the man was not willing to repent of that sin. And as far as we know, he never did come back to Jesus, never did turn around. How close you can be to the kingdom and yet so far. So this man, it cost him eternal life because he loved money.
2: The love of money. Now, perhaps you heard the joke about the rich man who asked God if he could take his riches with him to heaven. God agreed. So when the man showed up at the pearly gates, St. Peter asked what was in his rather large bag. The man opened it to reveal many bars of gold, to which St. Peter replied, Oh good, more paving material. Well, the love of money or material possessions is a very tricky thing. And Pastor Steve will have more to say about that in our next verse-by-verse program. Our series is called Biblical Instructions for Godly Living. And if you have missed any of it, you can get caught up by surfing to versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the archives tab. There you will find past episodes and you can pick up what you might have missed. We're out of time for today, so please plan to join us next time for Verse by Verse.